I'll start by reading that psalm, Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. <clears throat> One of my daughters has a great go-to line for a conversation starter. A few weeks ago, we were in the supermarket, just, just her and me, and she approaches a stranger and she says, Hi, I'm four and a half. And this lady, who appeared to be in her 70s or so, said, oh, hi, that's wonderful, although at some point you may stop counting the half birthdays. <laughs> to my daughter, this appeared to be a revelatory bombshell as she processed that, why would anyone stop counting the half birthdays? In her short life, half a year, is a really long period of time, and she will celebrate every half birthday that she gets. On the other hand, last week, during Christmas dinner, a few of us adults were talking about the past, the 80s and 90s, with a hint of nostalgia. Those decades brought us Journey and Michael Jackson, E.T. and the Karate Kid. Some of you are too young for E.T. Mariah Carey back when she was known for a lot more than just one hit Christmas single. Air Jordans debuted, the NBA dunk contest. For some of you kids, even Pokemon started in those decades. Magic cards. And of course, the dawning of the information superhighway, which later, of course, known, came to be known as the internets. And what an incredible couple of decades those were, we reminisced. But as I thought about that, 
when you start talking in this way, you know that you stopped counting your half birthdays a long time ago. For those of us who are older than four and a half, we realize that life moves quite quickly, and here we are in 2023. But there's nothing quite like turning the page from December 31st to January 1st, now 2023, that can bring a moment of reflection to our lives. We ponder about how short it is, we think about the, the joys of the past year or many years, and we certainly bring into New Year's also sometimes a twinge of regret, of disappointment. And so we look forward to the new year and think, what will this new year bring for us? And I hope that Psalm 90 offers up a chance for us to meditate upon the wisdom of God and that it might teach us something about life for 2023. Now some context on Psalm 90. It's written by Moses and it's a reflection of his life. It's written towards the end of his life. How old is he? You might think, well, 80 was toward the end of his life. Actually, it wasn't. Moses was a spry 80. He was called by God at 80 years old to lead the people out of Egypt, lead his nation, Israel, out of Egypt. At 80, Moses probably felt like he was on the rocket ship. He was on the up and up. Just got called to ministry. In his future, still were days of exciting negotiation with Pharaoh, saying, God says to let my people go. And Pharaoh responded to him day after day, saying, no, I will not let the people go, and God raining plagues upon Egypt. That was still in Moses' future at 80 years old. In his future was still witnessing the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, and leading the people out of Egypt, away from their enemies. And his future was still an encounter with God on a thunderous mountain to receive two tablets of stone on which were written the law of God. Moses had a lot to look forward to at 80 years old. But that wasn't quite the end of his life yet. The end of his life was actually around 120 years old. And it's at this point which he writes the psalm. Scholars tend to agree that in Moses' personal history, uh, he writes this psalm, Psalm 90, at the end of his life, about 120 years old, following the events of Numbers 20. What happens between the time that he's talking to Pharaoh day after day to the time of Numbers 20. Well, Moses has taken the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, communed with God, and God judged the people for their lack of faith and trust in him, and he condemned them to wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. So from about 80 years old to 120 years old, Moses led a nation in circles around the wilderness. And in Numbers 20, three events happened to culminate this time of wandering in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 20, first, Moses' sister Miriam dies. Secondly, the people of Israel still grumble and still complain. And at Kadesh Barnea, they complain that we don't have water to drink. So God says, well, Moses, you can get them some water to drink. Go and speak to that rock, and water will flow out. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses, perhaps out of his frustration, strikes the rock twice and outflows the water. By that act of striking the rock twice, 
God judges him for his disobedience, but he was supposed to speak to it, and he struck it twice. And so God's judgment upon Moses was that you also, like the rest of the wilderness generation, or Exodus generation, will not enter the promised land. His sister dies. He's told he will not enter the promised land. And thirdly, in Numbers 20, Moses' brother and longtime co-leader, Aaron, also dies. It's at this point in his life that he writes Psalm 90, a life that was uh, long-lived at 80, was on the up and up at 80, and then at 120, culminates in an old man coming to the end of his life, alone, without his sister, without his brother, probably without many friends, and a mission left unaccomplished. This is how many lives come to a close, actually. Is there anything sadder than when the purposefulness and exuberance and ambition of youth culminate in a life that finishes with uncertainty and loneliness and insignificance? The bad news for Moses at this point is that his life is almost over. The good news, though, upon reflection, is that he finds significance in a life lived for God because God gives life its purpose. What Psalm 90 tells us, we're going to take two main points here, is that life is momentary and fleeting, and purpose comes only from God. Life is momentary and fleeting, and purpose comes only from God. We're going to have two main points here from Psalm 90. Firstly, a perspective on a brief life, from verses 1 to 11. A perspective on a brief life. And secondly, a prayer for a purposeful life, in verses 12 to 17. Now look with me at verses 1 to 6. When the Bible talks about the duration of a man's life, we always see brevity. When the Bible has something to say about how long a man's life lasts, it is always merely a shadow, a vapor, and a breath. In contrast, Psalm 90 says that God is forever. And we see the difference between God's eternality and man's brevity. In verse 2, Moses writes that God is everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and no end. If you ever try to define and try to explain to somebody how long God's lifespan is, simply by using the word lifespan, by definition, you're trying to put some limits and constraints upon it, and you'll fail to describe to somebody how long God's life is. All Moses can do here is reference starting points long ago. That God was around before creation. That God was around before the mountains were even born. God has been around so long that a thousand years in his sight are like yesterday when it's past, or like a watch in the night. Now, what's a watch in the night? Well, in the old days, when you had fortresses and you had to guard them, you would post sentries on the on the roof to go look out for enemies. And a night would last 12 hours from about 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. You couldn't just flip the switch on the lights, so it was dark, right? And so 12 hours of watching and waiting to see if any enemies would come. Because few people could stay up the whole night, they'd partition the, the night into four watches. And so each watch lasted three hours. To God, a thousand years 
are like three hours. Both spans of time, a thousand years and three hours, are as negligible in his sight. Other parts of the Bible, like Job 9 says, my days are swifter than the runner, they flee away. Psalm 39 says that every man is at best merely a breath. James 4 compares life to a vapor. What does Moses say in this psalm? Well, verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. People are like a dream. Most of the times when you dream, you probably didn't even realize you dreamt. And the times that you woke up and you realized that you dreamt, if you told someone that you dreamt in a short while, if they asked you, what did you dream about, you probably couldn't even recollect or tell them about that dream. That's the way it is with life. Most people are just forgotten. And if they're remembered, you can't tell others the first thing about them. They're like a dream that comes and then goes away. People are like grass that flourishes in the morning, but by evening it withers and fades. Now Moses does a good job of explaining to us that life is short and then you die. But why are lives cut so short? And for this, Moses explains to us in verses 7 to 11 that it is because of sin. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Moses says, God has made our lives short because of sin. When he created Adam and Eve, Genesis suggests to us that God created them in a perfect place in the Garden of Eden, meant to live in a perfect relationship with God. But in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were condemned to toil and not enjoy that toil, but also to death. The reason that lives are cut short, Moses says, is connected to what happened in Genesis 3, the entrance of sin. It is for sin that death has entered the world and lives are cut short. You may notice that verse 10 explains to us Moses' understanding of the expected, the life expectancy of someone in his day. He says 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Not a lot has changed so much, right? If you looked up the stats recently on life expectancy in the United States, as of about two years ago, is the last, last stats I could find, you can expect to live to about 79. But that's only if you're a woman. If you're a man, you get a few less. So say you've got 80 years of life. The first 20 years of your life, you're just getting your legs under you. You're just growing up, learning what you need to learn to become productive in this world. The next 40 or so, from 20 to 60, you're likely going to hit your stride and hit your productive years. And when you think, and just when you think you've hit that stride, 
You have to pass the baton to the anchor leg, which is your last 20 years. But unlike running a 4 by 400 Olympic relay, the anchor leg tends not to be the fastest here. From 60 to 80, eh, your legs are probably forgetting how to run. Your legs are falling off. And that's it. At 20 years at the start, you're growing up. Maybe 40 years in the middle, you're productive and at your peak. And 20 years, you're winding it down, and that's it. And life is short, and God made it that way because of sin. This is one of the most unpleasant things to think about in life, isn't it? You know, Moses even says in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who, who considers this and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's almost like he's asking a rhetorical question. Who really thinks about God's anger and wrath that in his righteous judgment he decided to cut short human life? We prefer rather to block this out. Imagine that life will go on forever, and God has not limited it. But the harsh reality is that he very much has. What is scary about that thought to you? Is it that your life is hurling year by year, faster and faster towards the end, and you hate to think about the moment in your future when it's going to be snuffed out? Is it by definition because years are passing quicker as you age and it's going faster? That there's only a limited window and that window is shrinking in which to make an impact and have some significance in this life? That your ability to leave something lasting and have a purpose in it is a window that is shutting on you? Maybe all of the above are scary thoughts. But this is the perspective of a brief life that Moses gives us from Psalm 90. What were supposed to be the best years of Moses' life were spent wandering the desert. And from a human standpoint, it ends in failure. And Moses, upon reflection, presses home this point, the notion that life is short and then you die. But the psalm, thankfully, doesn't end there because it moves on towards a theme of purpose. So he gives us a perspective on a brief life, and then he gives us a prayer for a purposeful life, verses 12 to 17. <clears throat> As I wrote this, I was thinking, does anyone still wear Reebok? Reebok had a slogan that said, life is short, play hard. When the world understands that life is brief, what it tells us is, life is short, play hard. Because you only have this momentary window to enjoy it. Seek your pleasure. Seek what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. Acquire what you want to acquire. Because you've got this short window in which to enjoy it, and that is it. Maybe the world has told us life is pointless, so therefore you define for yourself what do you enjoy the most? What is your meaning in life? What is the essence of life that you interpret it to be and thereby live it? 
It is possible when confronted with the idea that life is short, that one may think, life is short, therefore it is pointless. But Moses' point is life is short, therefore get to the point. A prayer for a purposeful life, verses 12 to 17. He writes, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. A brief life, understanding that is not meant to lead to pointlessness, is meant to lead to purposefulness. Moses in verse 12 writes, give us a heart of wisdom. He connects this heart of wisdom to numbering our days. For a church as young as ours, it's really easy to forget that death looms in our future. Most of us feel our promise and potential is yet unfulfilled. Our futures are indefinite. We rarely walk by a cemetery, let alone spend much time there. When's the last time you saw someone die? When's the last time you were next to somebody or reflected upon the notion of death? These days, we sanitize that. You don't see it very often. You probably haven't thought about it in a while. When Moses says, teach us to number our days, he doesn't merely mean grab your calculator, and if you're 30 years old, calculate how many years do I have left until 80, so that's 50, times 365, and there you go. That's the number of days I have left. You can do that exercise. might be kind of fun, actually but it doesn't change anything about how you view life. That number will be in the tens of thousands, and then every day you'll decrement it by one, but it doesn't change how you view your life. What Moses is getting at, the word in the Hebrew for teach us, is actually a word that conveys make us to know personally and intimately. It's the same Hebrew word When you say, I know my child, you know things about your child like what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know when they're, you can sense when they're about to have a meltdown and a tantrum. You know why. You know what will stop that. You know what they need in that moment. There are things about a a parent's relationship to a child that are really close and intimate and familiar. And so when Moses uses this word to teach, it's actually more literally translated, make us to know personally and intimately. Make us to know how many days we have left so that we might get our heart of wisdom. To understand that I am the watch in the night. I am just the blade of grass that flourishes in the morning and then withers by night. And wisdom that's supposed to inform what is this blade of grass supposed to do before I wither. 
One of my friends told me about a, <clears throat> an elderly couple who spent part of every Sunday sitting next to each other on the couch reading their newspapers together. But with a sudden bout of illness one week, the wife got sick, her health declined, she went to the hospital, and within one week, she passed away. The husband, it was so sudden, he wasn't quite ready for this, and to this day, he spends a part of his Sunday afternoon every week with his lawn chair out in the cemetery next to her gravesite, reading his newspaper, because that was his habit. I thought, for a young church like ours, if only we could sit with that man on Sundays, if only we could sit there with him with our newspapers, we would acquire a lot of wisdom, because it would make us to know and to feel what it is to lose life. No, no one else can teach us that, right? Life is short and then you die, and when you die, you have to go through that experience alone. No one alive can tell you what it's like to go through it, okay? The best thing you can do is spend some time acquainting yourself with the notion that life is short and there's not much left. That's the best thing you can do is understand those days, ask God to teach us to number them, and get a heart of wisdom. A second part of Moses' prayer in verses 14 and 15, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He says, Satisfy and gladden us. Satiate our days so that we may feel that there is purpose there. Recall, Moses is at a point in his life when it's really easy to descend into feeling like his life was meaningless and purposeless. Because he had been called to a mission that's unfulfilled. He's going to die on the outside of the promised land while the next generation carries the people into the land without him. He knows that part of the feeling of futility and insignificance is God's judgment on life that because of sin, he has cut it short, and therefore we are made to feel like this is insignificant, this is futile and meaningless. But before Moses writes, satiate us, make us glad and gladden us, verse 13 is a, a pivot in the psalm. In verse, 13, in verse 13, he writes, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. His translation for this is something like, do something, God. Have mercy on us. This feeling of futility and wandering about in the wilderness in this meaningless situation, rescue us from that. There's something innate to us, to people that want our lives to, to hold some meaning, to have some significance, so we don't just live a short life and then die. But we've tried to find this kind of meaning in so many different avenues, in projects, in possessions, in pleasures, in other people. For example, I bet you and I have all tried to fill our lives with some random things at times, because we think that getting that random thing is going to make me feel a momentary satisfaction. Maybe, just maybe, it's going to make me, make me feel a, a longer-term satisfaction. So we collect shoes and handbags 
We collect our travel experiences. We collect our accolades at work. We collect trophies for our kids. We collect watches and cars and many other things. And the idea is simple. If I just get one more of that, then I will really feel satisfied. But you know, the problem is, and we all know, it doesn't work. Because once you get that one more, there's always one more to get. You know who took this experiment to the extreme, this pursuit of satisfaction? Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He took it to the extreme, so hopefully we don't have to. Okay? He said that he, Solomon, as king, he might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So, what did he do? He said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. But then he writes, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. A man, a king, who had the ability and means to pursue all kinds of projects, all kinds of possessions, all kinds of pleasure, even obtaining and owning other people. In the pursuit of satisfaction, came to the conclusion that all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Even before you go collect that next widget or do that next thing, you already know what the outcome is going to be. It feels good in the moment, but it will not satisfy you. What Moses tells us is that we are brief and insignificant. Pursuing satisfaction in other brief and insignificant things will not satisfy you. The brief chasing the brief, the insignificant chasing the insignificant will not satisfy you. What's the answer? Do you want to be satisfied with your life? The brief must pursue the eternal. The insignificant must pursue the significant. Seek your satisfaction from God. Moses writes, satisfy us in the morning, God. Make us glad for our days, God. Return to us. Satisfy us and gladden our hearts so that we might feel that there is purpose and meaning and significance in this life. And Moses' prayer concludes with a plea to grant us 
lasting significance. Let your work be shown to your servants, he writes in verse 16, and your glorious power to the children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He writes, establish the work of our hands and repeats, yes, establish the work of our hands. Which conveys a pleading to God. Make our work succeed. Help us. Cause us to be part of something that lasts. Cause us to be part of something that doesn't just disappear when we die. Otherwise, it's true that life is short and then you die and there's nothing else. Cause us, God, to be part of something that lasts beyond where we are. Back to Moses' story. Moses leads the people wandering in the wilderness. He's condemned to stay outside of the promised land. How does he process this? He can process this as, I've lived 120 years of my life, and it's ending in uncertainty and futility and disappointment. And therefore, Moses would have lived one of the saddest lives ever lived. But he makes a connection to God. He comes to the realization that he is part of this Exodus generation. And his duty was to bring Israel out of Egypt. God didn't have it in his life to bring the people into the promised land. It was left to the generation born in the wilderness. 1.2 million people that Moses led out of Egypt, including himself, were condemned to die in the wilderness. About 32,000 per year in their 40 years of wandering died in the wilderness. But the part that Moses fulfilled enabled the next generation, the generation born in the wilderness, to then go and pursue and take that promised land. Moses says, let your work, God's work, be shown. Let your glorious power to their children. Only in the connection to the eternal and the significant God can our brief and momentary and insignificant lives have meaning. Moses' life may not have turned out as he once imagined it, but he is finally able to see the purpose that his life's work achieved a measure of significance that accords with God's plan. One of the most memorable job interviews I've ever conducted was with an employee that had left Apple and was now seeking to come back. The most memorable part about it was he had only been gone for like four months. Now, I knew the guy could do the job he was interviewing for. He had only been gone a very short amount of time. But what I most wondered was, why are you sitting here? Why are you interviewing for a job or a kind of job that you left four months ago when I know you went to another company for a better salary, better stock package? But the guy practically begged for a job. He said, I'm willing to take a lower salary and less stock in order to come back. Quick career tip, never do that in an interview. I asked him why. This is one of the strangest interviews I've ever conducted. 
He said, because for months, I've been at this new job, and I show up day after day, and all they've got for me to do is respond to like three emails, and then I take long walks around this nice campus. And I just can't stand it anymore. I want to do something. I want to do something that seems meaningful and purposeful. And I will come back for less pay. A little more money, a few more possessions, a bit more recognition, all of that also is vapor and shadows and withering grass. God made us so that we would desire for our lives to have greater purpose. He made it so by definition, our lives would be brief and would tend us towards insignificance. In our foolishness, we pursue and gravitate towards other insignificant temporal things to try to find satisfaction in them, but the wisdom of God teaches us that the thing that we need most as brief temporal people, the thing that gains purpose for us is to hitch ourselves to an eternal, everlasting God. His purposes, because He is everlasting to everlasting. Though we fade, God remains. Moses was used as an instrument to lead God's people in that specific period of time that God called him to, which was the purpose that God had for him. For each of our lives, God gives us the wisdom to know our days, and so to make them count. He brings the satisfaction of knowing that our lives can count for something in eternity, and he is able to establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father God, as we start 2023, help us all, each one of us, to reflect on our lives and to have wisdom for the remainder of life that you have set before us. Teach us that we might receive hearts of wisdom to live our momentary lives in accord with you and your eternal plans. Amen.